You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. All right, you guys, let's be honest. You don't know me super well, but one thing you probably definitely don't know about me is I love animals. I love fish. Right, I do. Like I grew up in the Steve Irwin era. You know what I'm talking about. So I grew up on Discovery Channel, Animal Planet. That's what I was watching. And so I love animals. I love fish. I, part of it is I just think it points to God's awesomeness. Right? There's thousands, thousands, thousands of different types of fish. They're all different. They have a, you know, they look different. They function different. They have just different attributes that God's like. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do that. Right? And it shows His power, His beauty, His creation. And I think in some ways his sense of humor, right? You probably have all seen an animal or a fish and you're like, God, I don't know why you did that. Like, that's kind of ridiculous, right? But he did and it's awesome. And so one of those animals is, is a puffer fish. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, but they're ridiculous. And so I want to show you a video of what a puffer fish looks like, right? They start out pretty small. They're not very impressive, but what they do, guys, is if they're in water, they swallow water. When they, when they want to look bigger than they are, they swallow it. Um, if they're out of water, they'll swallow air, and they puff themselves up. So their whole purpose, their defense mechanism, is they want to make themselves look strong, tough, bigger, more intimidating. Like, look at those spikes. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. But the reality is about these puffer fish, they look tough. They look strong. That's what they're trying to do. But at the end of the day... It's just a water balloon, right? It's just a fish filled with water, right? It's not impressive. It, it's made you think it's bigger and it's tougher than it is, but it's not. And, and part of the reason I show you this video is first, I do think it's funny. Like God's got a sense of humor, right? And so we can laugh about it too. But secondly, this is, this is really what's going on in the church in Corinth. It's what we've been talking about. If you remember the last few weeks, uh, there's these false teachers that, that Paul is dealing with in Corinth. And really what they're doing is they're puffing themselves up. They're like a puffer fish and their whole goal with the church in Corinth to authenticate their false teaching and to make people think they're awesome is to puff themselves up, to, th- to make people think that they're bigger, they're better, they're stronger than what they are, right? And that's about flaunting their money, their success, their charisma. It's about uh, them even talking about all that God's done for them, the visions, the revelations that he's given them. And really all it is, is they're sucking in water and puffing themselves up. And again, this isn't just a problem for the false teachers in Corinth. Guys, I, I think this is a human issue as well. And, and maybe you're not like me, but my temptation is to do that as well, right? That, that what I, I begin to do when I take my eyes off Jesus is I begin to live to make much of myself. Where I, my whole goal and how I present myself is, man, Sean's pretty great, right? Like I want to puff myself up, think that I'm bigger, stronger, more capable than I am. And I think if we're honest, some of our tendency is to be like, I know I'm dependent on God, but if I could live as much as my life in my own strength and only really rely on God when I super need him, then that would be strength. That would be success. And we lie to ourselves and we make ourselves puffer fish, right? We just puff ourselves up. But thankfully, the word of God speaks to this in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. And I want to give you this big idea that Paul is trying to get across in this passage and really this greater section of scripture. But this is what he says. This is what he wants us to understand. Our lives are about making much of God and not ourselves. And it seems pretty simple. I think most of us would just say that. Yeah, of course, my life's about God, not about me. 
But I think practically, we, we, we really don't live that way. And so I think what Paul's trying to get us to do and the church in Corinth to do is to reorient our life to really say, my life really is about making much of God, not myself. Not building a kingdom for myself here that will waste away. Not, not being a puffer fish, but making much of God. That is the purpose of my life. And he does it in two sections in this passage. Breaks it down in two ways. The first is the foolishness of pride. Paul wants us to see, hey, when we live for ourselves, when we're saying my life is about me and I'm just trying to make people think I'm awesome, that I'm the best mom, that I'm so successful, I have all this money, look what I've built. It's foolishness. At the end of our lives, it will waste away. And so Paul starts with that. And then secondly, he says there's a better way. We don't have to live like, like puffer fish. There's a better way. And there's power and weakness. And so that's how Paul breaks down this passage. So we're going to start with the foolishness of pride from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 6. Let me read it for us now. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained from it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. So no one thinks more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And so if we remember what's been going on, the false teachers in Corinth, uh, their whole process has been boasting, right? They're trying to make much of themselves. That's why we watch that puffer fish video. That's what they're doing. Hey, look at our legit teaching. We are awesome. And, and Paul transitions here. He's been boasting for the last, uh, for uh, the passage previous and this passage as well. But his whole point here is to show the foolishness of boasting. He says, I must go on boasting to show what the false teachers are doing. It's a waste. It's foolishness. And what it seems like these false teachers are doing in this passage is it, it seems like what they've done is they've said, hey, Our message, what we've been teaching is authentic, it's powerful, because we've received visions and revelations from God. And that's what they're saying, hey, we're awesome, look what God's done for us, we are incredible, listen to us. And and honestly, guys, it it was a lie, the visions, they, they made them up, the revelations they've told, it was only to puff up their ego and to authenticate their false teaching. And and, and they didn't just leave it at that. But they also attacked Paul and said, you know who, who hasn't heard a lot of visions? Who hasn't had a lot of visions? Who hasn't heard revelation from God? Paul hasn't. Don't listen to him. His message isn't authentic. Listen to us where it's authoritative. It's been given to us by God. And so Paul boasts here. He, he begins to defend the authentic, true gospel. And so Paul's not defending himself. He doesn't need to defend himself. But his message, his apostleship is tied to the, the real powerful, life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, so I, I, I've got to answer their, uh, their boasting, their lies. And so Paul says, oh, okay, I can, I can go on boasting. I can tell you about visions and revelations. And he goes on here and says a revelation, a vision that he saw 14 years ago. 14 years ago. And it says he was called up to the third heaven. 
And in Hebrew culture, the third, the, the first heaven is the sky. Second heaven is outer space. The third heaven is the spiritual realm where God dwells. It says the next line, he was called into paradise. Where Paul is in this vision is heaven, eternity. He's, he's with God in his presence. He's seeing what, uh, what eternity will be like. It's incredible. He's got this incredible vision and he goes on to say, I mean, I, I, I don't want to boast in this, but I could because it's true. It really happened. And so Paul has this incredible vision. He says, your, your false teachers, they've said all these things, but they aren't true. But my vision has been true. This is what God has done. But I, I need you to notice how Paul says this. If you look at the text in your Bible, uh, Paul writes it in the third person. Paul isn't making this vision about himself. He's doing the exact opposite of what the false teachers are doing. They're sharing their visions and revelations to make much of themselves. But Paul is saying, hey, this is actually about God. Why you haven't heard about this vision from 14 years ago is because it's about God. What he says in this passage, he says, I know a man that had this revelation. He's not talking about somebody else. He's talking about himself. And you see his emphasis. He says, I know a man in Christ. Paul's purpose here, who he's trying to make much of is God. And again, another example of that, he says, um, it, was I in the body or out of the body? I don't know. But you know who does know? God does because he is the reason for my vision. It's about making much of him, not myself. And, and, and that's what Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to get. Guys, don't miss it. Hey, the false teachers you've been listening to, they've been telling you a lie that your life is about yourself and about them and making much of themselves, but it's about God. Remember that big idea we talked about earlier. Right, that our lives are about making much of ourselves, or, or sorry, making much of God and not ourselves. Don't mix that up like I did, right? All right, this is important. And so Paul's like, don't miss it. What, the, what your false teachers have done is they've made it about themselves, but really it's about God. Don't live that way. Don't live like a puffer fish. Paul doesn't want to do that. He wants his whole life to be about God. And that's what we've been called to as well. But I want you to think about it like a reference. And most of you have probably been a reference for somebody before, maybe for a job, maybe for volunteering, something. But uh, picture it this way. Somebody calls you up and they're like, hey, Sam, uh, Matt is applying for our job and he's used you as a reference. Can you tell us about Matt? Tell us about him. And you start and you say, hey, Matt's great. Matt's a great guy. Love Matt. But um, he learned everything he knows from me and I'm awesome. Let me, let me tell you about what I've done, right? Like, see, have you seen my LinkedIn account? Look at all these things that people say I'm great at. This is the team I've worked on. This is the certificate I have. This is the education I've had. This is what I've done. Look at how good I am at public speaking. I'm awesome. And, and uh, unfortunately, that, that's what the, the false teachers were doing. But I think that's what our tendency is at times with our lives, when we, when we act like that, we say our lives are about ourselves, right? We, we're, we're a reference for ourselves instead of God, right? No one would do that in an, in, an, in an actual conversation when you're a reference for somebody. We know that if you're a reference, then that conversation is about that person you're being a reference for. But unfortunately, what we do with our lives is sometimes we live like really we're a reference for ourselves, why we're trying to puff ourselves up, that our lives are about making much of ourselves for other people, everyone we come in contact with to think that Sean is awesome instead of God being awesome. That's what we do. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand this. What God's word called us to is he says that we're called to be ambassadors. 
that we're called to be witnesses of God, that that's what our lives are about. That's what our purpose is about. You think about it this way. You're called to be a reference of God to the world. And so what that means is we can't just make our lives about puffing ourselves up and say, look how accomplished we are. Look what I've done. Look how good of a mom I am. Look what I've done. That's foolishness. That's not what our lives are about. That's not what God's created us for. And so, so, so many times we miss it and live for something less than what God has for us. I don't know about you guys. I love reading, love fiction. I don't do it as often as I used to. I have too many young kids. And right now, like I'll, I'll go to read before bed. And then I just like turn on my Kindle and I wake up at 3 a.m. confused with my Kindle on my chest. It's awful. It's disorienting. Right. But if you like reading, I want you to think about it this way. Uh, think about your favorite novel, your favorite fiction. Right? What we tend to do is we try to trade, uh, tend to make our lives like that novel, right? Where we're the main character. And every other person in our lives, they're just a sporting character. We're the, we're the main character. That's what our life is all about. And we miss it. Because we are not the main characters of our lives. You're not Frodo. You're not Harry Potter. Like you're, you're probably closer to Neville. Like I, I hate to break it to you. You're, you're not the main character. And, and the main story of your life, is this beautiful, redemptive work of God, and he is the main character. That our lives were supporting characters to show part of this redemptive work of God. And so your life matters. It's important. I'm not downplaying that. But your life matters and reflects in the way that it points to this greater redemptive work of what God's doing. And so when we live in this uh, uh, me-centered, my life is about me and making much of me, we're living out of what God has called us and created us for. We've missed it. Our lives are not about making much of ourselves, but making much of God. And that's what Paul says here at the end of this passage. He says, I could boast in this. Like, I actually have a lot to boast about, but my point isn't to make you think that I'm awesome, that Paul's awesome. He says, I want people to see me for what I do and hear me for what I say. And what Paul is saying here is that God's given him a mission. And he doesn't want people to think he's authentic because of these awesome visions and revelations he's seen. He wants people to believe in the gospel because they've seen the life change in his life. They want, he wants them to hear the good news of the gospel and believe it for what it is and not this other wealth, charisma, all these other things. He wants them to really see Jesus. He wants, he does, the end goal of Paul's life, the end goal of your life isn't for people to see you and think you're awesome. The end goal is for them to see you and see God and how awesome he is. That's the focus. And so that's the first part of this breakdown, the foolishness of pride. When we live for ourselves, we're missing it. That's not what God's created us for. But he goes on here in his second part, and he, he begins to shift to the power of weakness. And it goes on here in verse 7. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. And so Paul sees this awesome vision. I mean, something we would love to see. What heaven is like, dwelling with God, his awesomeness, the perfection of what eternity will be like. And and what God is concerned about after that is that Paul will be filled with pride and conceit. 
And part of this is we need to remember that there's a spiritual battle going on. Right? There is. And, and part of the danger of success, worldly success, greatness, seeing God doing awesome things is pride. And the reality is in a spiritual battle, Satan wants us to be prideful. Like Satan's goal for our lives is for you to think that you are strong in yourself, that you aren't dependent on God, that you aren't broken, that you don't need him. He wants you to do things in your own power. And so what we see here in this passage is that God allows Paul to have a thorn of the flesh to prevent him from being conceited, to prevent him from living a life like a puffer fish, puffing himself up, making much of Paul, but instead that he can live out the purpose God's given him to make much of him. It's real. And so we don't know what his thorn of the flesh is. Scripture, uh, he met, Paul mentions a couple times his eyesight's bad. He's got a stomach ailment. He's not the best public speaker. But we don't know what that is. And part of it is this, guys. I don't think God's goal is for us to know what Paul's thorn of the flesh is. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to know that God allowed Paul to suffer, to have a thorn of the flesh, so that he would be dependent on God. He, he allowed Paul to be uncomfortable so that Paul would actually be healthier, holier, and in a better relationship with God. And I don't know about you guys. You know, I, I, maybe you have a thorn in the flesh. Maybe you can relate with Paul here. I would say that I have a thorn in the flesh. Like I grew up loving basketball. It, in a lot of ways, it was my identity. And I, w- I wouldn't say I was great. But I would say that I was pretty good. Uh, and part of that is I grew really quickly. So in eighth grade, I was six one, and I thought I was going to be super tall, and I just stopped growing. But, uh, you know, so God humbled me in that. But uh, for part of my life, it was really all, all that I did. Like my, my friends and I, we'd get home from school, we'd play basketball, went to expensive camps, played AAU. That was what my life was consumed by. And I believe God gave me a thorn of the flesh in part to humble me to make me not as good as basketball as I wanted to be, preventing me from being able to dunk even though I was tall enough. Like I wanted so badly to dunk, right? And I couldn't do it. And so the thorn of my flesh, I'll show you a picture of it, is my toe thumbs, all right? And hey, guys, come on, hold on. Uh, <laughs> see, the why it's funny is every time somebody sees my thumbs, they make that same response. Like it's that audible, oh, those aren't Photoshopped. Uh, my, my toes have not been surgically attached to my hands. Uh, those are my thumbs. And so it, guys, this is a thorn in the flesh. This is real. I, I, do you know how heavy a bowling ball I need to use to bowl, right? To fit my thumbs in them. I lose every thumb wrestling match. And, and, and here's the most humbling, right? Me, me and my wife, we've had three biological children together. And the first thing my wife does when our kids are born, is she checks their thumbs, Right? So how humbling is that? Your child's just born and your wife's like, I got to check for the deformity. You know, we got to make sure how hard is their life going to be? Um, and so I said, guys, I say this tongue in cheek, but there is this reality where God didn't have to give me these thumbs. Right? I really do like in part, God used these in a, in a time period in my life to humble me where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm probably not, I'm never going to be as good at basketball as I'm going to be. And he reoriented my life to, 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 to pursue him, to follow him. And he changed what I was driving after to him instead of sports, to athletics, where I was making much of myself instead of making much of God. All right. And so there's a small thing. It's, it's really, it's not that hard to have toe thumbs, but God used it in my life. And so, um, 
here's the, here's the danger, right? When we see God's awesomeness, when we see God's goodness in our lives, that the temptation is we, we, we see God's glory, we see his credit and we begin to take it ourselves, Right When we have worldly success, when we have athletic success, we make a lot of money, we build uh, this business from the ground up, we have this beautiful home, we have the American dream, what we tend to do is not give credit to God, not to glorify him, but we start to be like, you know what, I am pretty awesome. Like, do you see what I built? Do you see what I made? Do you see how, how much money I've had or success I've had? And we forget about what God's provided for us, the gifts he's given us, what he's done in our lives, and we begin to drink the poison and the lie that we are something, that we are awesome, that we ourselves are enough. And, and, and part of this is first, it's a lie, right? Like you're, you're, you're a puffer fish, but at the beginning stage, right? You're not even filled with water. Like we're not, we're not that impressive of ourselves. We believe this lie, but it's poison for us and it tastes good going down, but God knows it's bad. And so part of why God gives Paul this thorn of the flesh is because God cares more about him than he does about his comfort. And I need you guys to hear this. And it, it, it aligns up with this idea that our lives are about making much of God, not ourselves. God cares way more about your holiness and, and your relationship with him than he does your comfort. God cares way more about your holiness and your relationship with him than your comfort, your happiness. And I know that's hard to hear, but but you can see it play out here with with Paul, right? That, That God's purpose of our lives isn't to make much of us, isn't to make your life the American dream, to make it easier, to make it never suffering, to make it never hard, to make it always comfortable. That at times is really easy to make our goal of our lives, but that isn't God's goal of our lives. And so even in that, we need to reorient and say, man, how do I stop being frustrated when my life isn't comfortable and easy? And how can I remember that God is using this, even this suffering, using this thorn in my flesh to make much of himself and to grow me in holiness and to grow me in relationship with him? How do we remember that? Because there's this, this power and weakness and dependence on God that his purpose for my life at times is a lot different than my purpose for my life. And we see this play out as it continues on in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul asks three times for God to take this thorn in the flesh away. He begs God to take it away. And God answers him, but just not in the way that Paul wants. And God answers him really beautifully. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. That my power is made perfect in weakness. He's saying, hey, my goal isn't comfort or isn't your comfort, but I'm here with you. I'm enough for you, Paul. I'm sufficient in all that you will experience in suffering. And I'm powerful to make myself known and to grow you in holiness and relationship with me through this. I am sufficient and I am powerful. And I don't know about you guys, I, I'm not trying to downplay your suffering and what you're going through. Uh, every single person here is has hard stuff, thorns of the flesh, suffering. 
Maybe that's a, a relationship, a marriage that is struggling. It doesn't seem to get better. Maybe it's a lingering health issue. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's finances and you can't ever seem to get your head above water, right? It's a thorn in the flesh. You're praying. You're like, God, take this away. Doesn't God care about this? Why isn't he answering my prayers? Why is this still here? And the false teachers of our day would say, hey, God does want you to be comfortable. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be healthy. He never wants you to feel sick. He wants you to have all the money in the world. And if you don't have it, then you're not following him enough. You haven't given enough money. You're in sin. You aren't praying hard enough. But that's not what the word of God says. That's a lie. What the word of God says in your suffering, in your hardship, is that God is sufficient for you. God is sufficient for you. Maybe what we need in our suffering isn't that God takes it away, but that we shift our focus and actually believe that God is enough for us. That when we've given our life to Jesus through his death and resurrection, the good news of the gospel in part is that God is enough. That everything else in our lives, everything else we're hoping in and using to make ourselves feel valuable, it will fail us. And we don't need those things. What we need is a God who is sufficient for us. And so God gives us something better. He says, I am enough for you. That I'm there with you in it. I care about what's going on, but I am sufficient and I am powerful in the midst of what you are going through. And what Paul says here as he goes on, he says, therefore, because of God's response, because of the goodness of God in my suffering, I will go on and I will boast in my weakness and I will be content in my weakness. Not because it's easy, your suffering isn't, not because he enjoys it or wants it to keep going on, that's not it. But because he knows he's got a God that is enough that's with him in the midst of it, that even though he's weak and feels like he can't go on, God's power, God promises will be with him to empower him through it, to go on and and to use him to grow himself in holiness and to grow others in relationship with God. That's his promise. And so I want to read this quote to you from C.S. Lewis. I love this quote. And this is what it says. I suggest to you that it's because God loves us that he gives us the gift of suffering. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse the deaf world. You see, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculpture carves that form, uh, out of which the sculpture carves the forms of men. The blows of his chisel, which hurt so much, are what make us perfect. And so maybe the, the, the pain, the suffering, the thorns of our flesh that we're experiencing and the chisel, the hand of God chiseling away our lives to make us into his image, to grow us in holiness and grow us in relationship with God. Suffering at times, is, it's this great oxymoron. You maybe you've heard it called this before. Um, suffering is a severe mercy. Severe mercy, right? Suffering severe. We don't want to have it. It's awful. If we could get rid of it, it we, we would. But it's merciful because in our suffering it is, is where God tends to grow us, make us the most holy, and grow us in relationship with him. I know that's true for me. I don't know if that's been true of you, but that's been my experience. In hard times in my marriage, hard times with my kids, difficulties with adoption, cancer, health scares, addiction, those are the times God has met me in the midst of it and revealed his goodness to me, a severe mercy. And so God's purpose 
What God, what God wants of us isn't that we are dependent in our own power, that we're awesome to make much of us. God wants broken and contrite people dependent on him because he is really powerful. That he is sufficient for us, that he is enough, that we aren't sufficient of ourselves. And it's, the, it's this orient shift of how we view the world and how we are living. And so that's what we should try to be. That's what we should live for as people, people dependent on God and his power. And that's the leaders we should look for. Pastors, elders, teachers who love God aren't making much of themselves, aren't puffing themselves up, but are making much of God. And so as, as we begin to close here, I want to give us some just practical application here. So how do we handle our weakness. First, really tangible, guys. Don't be a puffer fish, okay? Don't make your life about puffing yourself up. That's not what it's about. God's purpose for you is to make much of him. It's his greater story. He's the main character. And our our lives matter because they're reflecting God's goodness, his character, what he's done, where his references to the world. Don't puff yourself up. Point to God. It's not about us. Second, ask God to take it away. Ask God to take away your weakness. All right, these are, these, the rest of these are straight from the passage. Paul does, you can. He, God hasn't taken away Paul, didn't take away Paul's thorn in the flesh, but God is a healer and he can take away your weakness. He can. And so let's pray and ask him to do that. And if he doesn't, let's pray and ask God for contentment to endure it. Right? How do we not go to bitterness? How do we just not mope and how hard this is? But how can we have contentment in the life circumstances that God has given us? How do we sit in it well? How do we know, hey, God is good. God has a plan for this. How do we rem- remember God's promises in the midst of hardship? And then next, ask God to be sufficient in your weakness. I think this is tied to contentment. But do we really believe the gospel? Is Christ enough for us? Is he enough? If everything else got taken away, would we have enough? Would Christ be sufficient? Would he be good enough for us? And ask God to do that in our hearts, that we would believe that, that we'd rely on him, that we would find joy and contentment in him alone. And then next, ask God to use it to show his power. Right? He promises he will do this. As we're dependent on him, ask him to grow you in holiness. Ask him to grow him in, you in relationship with him. Ask him to use you for his kingdom purposes, to reveal himself to the world. God will do those things. This is uh, just even the outline of this passage, what God can do and what we can ask of him. Guys, don't live your life as puffer fish. What, what your wife needs, what your husband needs, your kids need, what the world need, isn't somebody who's strong in themselves, who's self-reliant, who's awesome, capable, wealthy, strong. That's not what they need. What God has created you for is to lean into his sufficiency, to to realize your brokenness, your need for him, and be dependent on him. When you have your own power, that's all you have. Your life becomes you building up a sandcastle at high tide, and at the end of your life, it's washed away. It's meaningless. But let's live for something more. Let's lean into the power of God, dependency on him, because our lives are not about ourselves, but about him. That's the breakdown of what Paul said. Don't lean into the foolishness of pride, but lean into the power of weakness because our lives are out making much of God, not ourselves. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for this morning. And I pray that you would speak and encourage us through your word. And I think each one of us, you, you are speaking in different ways of things we need to hear and learn. But I pray 
that you would remind us that you have a plan and purpose of our lives and how contrary it is to think that we aren't the center of that. But God, help us to reorient our lives that we make much of you. That we don't believe the lie that you, you've promised us the American dream and comfort and ease, but you've promised us holiness and growth in relationship with you and power and sufficiency as we lean into you, Lord. And I pray that you would comfort us in the midst of that now. Whatever we're going through, whatever hardship we're experiencing, Lord, I pray that I and all of us here would experience that you are enough, that you are sufficient, and that we would trust you in that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.